Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. Welcome back. Time for our international news review. Steve Oaken, senior advisor at McClarty Associates, joining us. And Steve, the former president, has raised another storm online. Uh, president Trump on a town hall meeting uh, on CNN, of all places, not a place you would normally think that they would host that. And it is raising all kinds of a ruckus. Well, I, for one, am probably in the minority, but extremely grateful that CNN did this, that CNN took the heat. Um, This showed who President Trump is, that he is, frankly, an evil person. He is a shameless liar. Uh, He is not in the presidency to make the country better, but for retribution. And the country needs to see this. And the country also needs to see that there is about half of the country who vote who will vote for him. And a majority of Republicans will vote for him. And so while there's a lot of talk, oh, isn't President Biden too old? Didn't President Biden make a mistake in in pulling out of Afghanistan? Isn't didn't President Biden not solve the crisis at the border? Well, you, know, you make those cases. But this shows that the election coming up is a contrast between Trump and Biden. This is going to get the Democrats ginned up. It is going to turn off independence. And so bravo to CNN for putting this on. I just hate it when he's ambiguous, Neil, about how he feels about a topic. Anyway, what do you what do you think, Neil? How did it strike you? I agree. I agree with Steve on this one. One thousand percent. Bleeding heart liberals lose. This is what happens. Bleeding heart liberals in their silos in the U.S. saying we should not be giving this man airtime. I'm sick of giving this man airtime. He he lies. He cheats. He does it. Yes, but 50% of the electorate will vote for him come what may. And you saw that 50% in action at the town hall meeting. We can be appalled. We can be terrified. We can be aghast. They're going to vote for him. Now, just hours after he was found guilty in a civil court, in a civil court, alleging sexual predatory behavior, his fan base in the Rust Belts, in Texas and elsewhere, were still going to vote for him 100%. At this point, I don't see the point of liberals saying he shouldn't be on air, we're giving this man airtime. You need to see this huge elephant in the room to galvanise the, le- the left side, uh, Steve. I, okay. I, well, sure. Um, I, I guess the question I have is, why CNN, of all places, chose to do it? Because we know a couple of things. Why about- shouldn't they? We know a couple of things about what's happened in our political discourse in the United States and many other countries over the last few years, and that is people are calcified. So any CNN regular watcher who was watching was never going to vote for Trump anyway. And any uh, diehard Trump fan was always going to vote for him anyway, no matter what they even saw on 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 TV on this town hall. So I'm just not sure what value there was other than the carnival the but carnival just, environment. Just at one point, and then Steve, because I forgot to say this before, the only thing I disagree with CNN is the audience. 
the audience should have been a more reflective makeup of the U.S. It was well, a Republican and an independent Republican correct. leaning. And it should yeah. have had a more equal spread of the optics Why? of the U.S. Just well, to, so people challenged uh, President well, Trump. Let, let's, yeah. So let's talk about the audience first. It, so this is a Republican primary. And look, there's going to be rules that the Trump campaign is going to have to agree upon. And and what happened was the, the, the rules were for this audience, it was going to be Republican primary voters and independent but Republican-leaning primary voters. According to a person in the room, what went wrong here is that before the town hall started, the moderator came out or, or a rule person came out and said, you can't boo, so don't boo if you don't like something. Just be silent. And if you like something, you're allowed to applaud. And so what happened, according to people in the room, was that in the room, you're watching it and you're seeing half the people roll their eyes when he would say certain things or that they would you know, fold their arms across their chest. And then the other half of the room would be applauding. So it came. But on TV, you only hear the applause. You only hear people laughing mm. when Donald Trump is insulting people. Right. And so it came out differently on TV than it was in the room. And maybe that's something you would learn from going forward. But after this event, Republicans came out. I mean, Senator Todd Young of Indiana, when he was asked, what did you think of the Trump town hall. He said, where do I begin? <laughs> we want to win. We know he's the shortest path to losing. Senator Josh Hawley, a very conservative Trumpy Republican, when he was asked about Trump teasing pardons for those convicted mm-hmm. of rioting on January 6th and being involved in seditious conspiracy against the United States, Senator Hawley said, if you're asking me, do you think you should pardon the people who engaged in rioting in here? No. So you have Republicans who have started to come out. And the only way Trump is going to be stopped is going to be through Republicans. It's not going to be through Democrats. It's not going to be through the media. But, but what does Steve, what did we learn about Donald Trump at this town hall that we didn't Nothing. already know? Nothing. Okay. But, except was, to say it, that, but it was a moment for him to just amplify and then to say he would pardon Right. People. So I know you often say this, that we should be giving Trump airtime. No, I think you should. Trump's message hasn't changed. But nor has his followers. They are going to do exactly the same. Exactly. This came only hours after he was found guilty in a civil court of sexual predatory behavior. Has he said once, what was it he famously said, Steve? I could shoot someone in Fifth Avenue and I'd still get elected. Here is further evidence of that. For that reason alone, I think the town hall debate was valid. So people realize again what they're up against. Well, and look, what did we learn? We learned a few new things. He called the the black police officer who shot Ashley Bad, uh, you know, Ashley Babbitt, who is trying to to uh, get into uh, the the congressional leadership office. He called him a thug. So right. So now, if if black voters who are tend to be a little bit more ambivalent about Joe Biden now than they were in the election or that they were for for President Obama, maybe they're going to say, you know what, we may be a little bit ambivalent towards President Biden, but we have to vote for him because we cannot sit on the sidelines. When he says, I'm not going to take a position on should there be a national abortion ban. Um, I'm not going to tell you whether or not I'm going to sign federal legislation that will have an absolute limit on a woman's right to choose. That is going to bring out the suburban independent women who may not be happy with Joe Biden, but they're going to despise Donald Trump for this position. And so it we did learn things. It does change some things. All and right. I think mm-hmm. it's important that he was on. OK, let's move on to uh, Joe Biden 
and taking on the airlines, telling him that he wants them airlines to pay passengers for lengthy delays. This is not exactly new, but he came out and reiterated it this week. What do we know about this, Steve? No, it's it's relatively new that the Department of Transportation, and I'm going to go back to my time as, as Deputy General Counsel at, at the Department of Transportation. The Department of Transportation has the authority to regulate the airline industry um, because it is it is a federal regulation that applies. So, for example, if your flight gets canceled by an airline, the airline says, you know what, we don't want to fly today. Right. We don't have enough people on the flight. It's not worth our economics. So we're just going to cancel the flight and you're going to have to go tomorrow. You can't sue the airline. You have no right to sue the airline as an individual. You can't sue the airline in state court. Only the Department of Transportation has the authority to regulate this. And so where the Department of Transportation wants to go right now is to say if an airline cancels a flight, then the consumer is going to be protected and they are going to be compensated. That happens in Europe. It doesn't happen in the United States right now. I question whether or not this rule will ever occur and whether or not it's a good thing. Although what about it, what about uh, weather and things delays for that kind of stuff? That's the problem, right? So the rule says if the airline cancels the flight on its own, then it has to compensate the passenger. Well, if it's a weather mechanical, then no. mechanical, no, it's outside. Well, you could argue mechanical is outside the airline's control. Right. Weather is outside the airline's control. So now, if it's a flight delay from one place and then the pilot can't fly because oh. they've gone over their time limit yeah, yeah, yeah. outside the airline's control, so you are going to get fights right from passengers in the airline. Was this the airline's fault or not? So it is going to be an extremely difficult rule to enforce. We had this issue when I was at the Department of Transportation. We had the the on-time performance rule where we require airlines to post, well, we posted on behalf of the airlines, we would rank them where they stood in terms of on-time performance, thinking, and and correctly so, that this would change their behavior. When we issued the rule, we put in an exemption for things outside the airline's control, like a weather delay, like an air traffic control delay. Well, guess what? Every late landing became a weather delay or an air traffic control delay, and it became impossible to audit that. So we just said, you know what? Forget it. It's either on time or it's not, and we don't care what the reason is. That's going to be a little bit more difficult to do when you've got passengers going to be claiming hundreds of dollars whenever there's a delay. Bringing both points together, Trump and Biden, this is an important bread and butter issue. Yes, it hits voters in the pocket. Are these the kind of issues that Biden will and should be focusing on? As on the other side, you're going to have Trump throwing out his lies, his post-truth bombs left, right and center. Will this stuff really resonate? If this stuff can resonate over a, a longer period of time, if you can govern from a thematic perspective that you're on the side of the American family, you're on the side of the American consumer, you're on the side of the American worker. What we spoke about this when President Biden spoke in the State of the Union about getting rid of junk fees, that was very popular. Um, This is within that same vein. We are going to protect the consumer from the airline in this instance, where the consumer can't protect themselves like the consumer can't protect 
protect themselves from junk fees. So this does fit in very much with with a democratic approach mm. to how you work for consumers, as opposed to a Republican regulatory approach. All right, you got to leave it there. We'll move forward on that. ASEAN leaders meeting in Labuan in Indonesia this week, calling for an immediate end of violence in the military ruled Myanmar. They've been calling for this for a couple of years now. But in this case, uh, the president of Indonesia, uh, uh, Widodo, was a little bit more strident, I think, in his criticism of the military junta in Myanmar. They have this five-point plan, peace consensus that they've uh, had on the books now for a while. And he was very openly critical that Myanmar has not done anything to address this. Not a new story, not a new result of this uh, to this story or reaction to the story, except I think the strident tone of the Indonesian president. If the Myanmar junta doesn't stop killing and killing and killing people, we are going to issue a very strong statement objecting to this. <laughs> okay, I knew where you were going with this. <laughs> Look, ASEAN is living up to the critics who call it nothing but a toothless talking shop. Uh, I I don't disagree with you on that. So and, yeah. and in fact there's it's it's even, you know, yes you you have, you know, the Indonesian president saying that uh we need to do more. But we've seen where, uh, and there's a, it was reported that some ASEAN members say, you know what, it's time to recognize the junta because the time for isolation has served its purpose. Yeah. Really? Served what I, what's purpose? happened in the last what, what, two yeah, years? What purpose is that? <laughs> no, yeah, I, look, yeah. So this is the ASEAN statement that just came out um, when it came to the failed five-point consensus agreed on two years ago. Um, we reiterate our unit. Unified position that the five point consensus remains our main reference. Yeah. Great. Okay. It get, now if, what? Yeah. Now what? And and you know and, and President you know Anwar Ibrahim of Malaysia. I mean, he said something much more strongly than 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 the president of Indonesia. He said, you know, Anwar said it's time to review the non interference principles to give ASEAN the ability to deal with challenges such as the Myanmar crisis that have regional implications. So that would be a real change. Get rid of this non interference principle with with the with the sort of unspoken thing they could send in ASEAN or somebody could send in troops? Well, I don't that know means? that ASEAN would ever send in troops, but I mean, they, they, don't they really could have do troops eco- to send in. They but, could do economic yeah. boycotts, they could do commercial yeah. uh, boycotts, they could they could take actions in, in other ways yeah. that would today violate that non-interference principle. Right. And if they did that, that would be much more than another strongly stated objection to what's happening in Myanmar. Okay. Let's just add some perspective for our listeners. Security forces have now killed more than 1,700 people, uh, at least 130 children. They've arbitrarily arrested over 13,000 people. The military continues to expand into ethnic minority areas displacing more than 550,000 people Steve this is one of our neighbors what else can or should we be doing at a business level if not a political level that we're not already doing well that's the question will customers come in and say we are going to to take action we're not going to we're not going to support businesses that are doing business there i mean that you know you saw that be very effective in the united states when it came yeah. to south africa during the apartheid regime um, you've seen business 
businesses get boycotted um, when it comes to other other countries. So that's the question. Is it, is it ever going to get there with, with consumers? Uh, because if government doesn't take action and consumers don't take action, then nothing is going to change. All right, Steve, we've got to move on to IPEF, the Indo-Pacific framework that uh, we talked about last week. All of the negotiators across the Indo-Pacific were gathering in Singapore this week. You were there uh, on the sidelines of many of those talks. Uh, tell us, this is you know bringing, supposed to be bringing the U.S. back into a leadership position in the trade realm after the, the failure of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, etc., did it work? How, how did the negotiations sound? What was the tone like this well, year? It, it, look, there is a lot of energy and enthusiasm by the 14 members of, of, of the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, so the yep. U.S. and its 13 partners. There was a lot of energy and enthusiasm from the business community because the U.S. needs to be here in the region. The U.S. needs to be here for geopolitical reasons. The U.S. needs to be here for economic reasons. All of the countries say we need the U.S. here to balance mm. China because China is growing and growing and growing from investment. It's growing and growing and growing from, from engagement with the business community. China's in the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. It wants to join the CPTPP. The U.S. is on the outside. Having the U.S. back in a leadership role is really critical. And so the question now is, can these negotiation can these negotiations lead to some substance when it comes to trade, when it comes to supply mm, chain, mm. when it comes to the clean economy, those pillars that are that are being negotiated literally as we speak oh, and these negotiations will con- uh, will continue over the weekend. Fantastic. Um, we will. We would expect a formal statement at the end of the weekend or next week, sometime. Do you think? Well, there will certainly be some formal statement saying we could. We it'll, broadly it, agreed on. It, it'll basically say something like "came out of the ASEAN." <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> we 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 met and we had frank and candid discussion. There's a frank and candid. There's oh. a vagueness to our last two segments. Valuable dialogue. There will be an IPEF ministerial in yeah. Detroit. Detroit at the end of the month. They are hoping to get something signed, most likely in the supply chain pillar, that can be actionable and that can can bring momentum forward. So this is just the chief negotiators. It has to go to the ministers. Hopefully we'll get something signed. And look, this has real world implications, right? On supply chain, during COVID, there was a total shutdown of the supply chain. We couldn't get movements going because visas were not being recognized. Air crew couldn't fly from country to country, trucks couldn't cross borders, seafarers couldn't couldn't get in and off their ships. And so if you can get something that even addresses those doing business issues so that when the next supply chain shock comes, the governments are better prepared. And as, as we were talking to some of the negotiators today, they said, look, the, the government said, we have no idea what's going on in the supply chain. That's not what we do. This is giving us an opportunity to understand what businesses are doing, how complex this is, and how that we can help you. So let's hope something comes in a couple of weeks, you yeah, know, in about three hope. weeks in Detroit to then get momentum to move on to other issues All as right. well. All right. Thanks, Fabulous. Steve. 
Hope Springs Eternal with Steve Oaken here on Money FM. It, it, it springs eternal for IPEF, not with Myanmar and ASEAN. <laughs> but he's good, though, isn't he? I'm, I'm watching him in awe of this man sometimes. <laughs> he, he said nice things about me. I'm going to say nice things <laughs> about him. Go. He's the man. All and right. I'm just looking forward to more tree pictures on my WhatsApp chat from Glenn this week. Don't get me going. Okay. Don't start him off again. <laughs> we got him off the trees. It's the birds. I'm thinking of the birds and the bee. Anyway, okay. Take care, Steve. Thanks. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at MoneyFM. M893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.